every single marketer and every single brand should be attempting to earn a disproportionate share of conversation. If you work for an organization where they say, bring us a chart that goes up and to the right, you have a challenge. Half the money I spend on advertising is wasted. The trouble is, I don't know which half. I am here to inspire you, to excite you, to motivate you, to transform you, to energize you. Hello and welcome to Pipeline Visionaries. This episode features an interview with Kyle Coleman, CMO at Clary, and Devin Reed, Head of Content at Clary. Clary's revenue platform improves efficiency, predictability, and growth across the entire revenue process. In this episode, Kyle and Devin give us the inside scoop on how to reduce revenue leak with purpose-driven marketing, share their thoughts on operational thought leadership, and how revenue is not just an event, it's an outcome. But before we get into it, here's a brief word from our sponsor. Today's episode is brought to you by Qualified. If you're a revenue team that runs your business on Salesforce, Qualified will accelerate your lead generation, pipeline, and ultimately revenue. Learn more at qualified.com. So please enjoy this interview between Kyle Coleman, CMO at Clary, Devin Reed, head of content at Clary, and your host, Ian Faison. Welcome to Pipeline Visionaries. Thanks for having us. So excited to have you both here today. We are live at Dreamforce. We are live at the Pipeline Summit here with beautiful qualified surrounding us. And I got to say, first off, I'm the biggest fan of what y'all are doing. Biggest fan of Clary and the marketing, what you're doing. It's so great. And I think you're clearly one of the darlings of B2B marketing right now. <laughs> wow. I knew Kyle's that. a darling on LinkedIn. I didn't know we were darlings <laughs> in the marketing. And I'll take it though. I'll take it. Oh, no. Seriously. I, well, I talked to, we talked to a lot of B2B marketers, obviously. And people are always, you know, like, oh, what Clary's doing is great. So clearly it's working. It's at least reaching the other marketers, right? Which is, which is that's like least phase one. It's like other marketers <laughs> notice, and then hopefully one day your target audience notices. But we'll get there. Yeah, indeed. And so we'll get into obviously your marketing strategy and all of that. But first, tell us what the past you know a couple months have been like with a lot of really great announcements. Seems like a lot of excitement around Clary. Obviously, uh, you've been in the news a little bit. So what's that been like, Kyle? It's been incredible. So we are. You know, for the last year, 18 months or so, the, the market demand has been, we want to consolidate our tech stack. And then a lot of the driving force, of course, is saving cost. But that's not exactly all there is to it. What we found is that the experience that so many sales reps have is so bad you know, for all the right reasons and with the best intentions, their teams brought on a dozen, two dozen. I heard from a CRO as 39 different revenue technology tools. Wow. And what That's that wild. means from a rep experience is they're constantly swiveling between different apps. They're, they spend, I think I saw a stat that was like 11 or 15% of reps time is spent switching between ap- applications. I'm wow. like, are you kidding me? Yeah. And so we saw this market demand for consolidation. We saw this rep demand for simplification. And then we also see this AI trend, which is really a data trend that says you need unified data that's going to inform the revenue process. And so that's been in the back of our minds for, from a you know, company strategy standpoint for the last year or so, maybe more. And we've had a couple of different opportunities over the last few years to try and add, to accelerate the way that we're adding to our capabilities. So in June of last year, we acquired Wingman. It's our conversation intelligence product. It's now known as Clary Copilot. And the huge, it's, the market adoption has been incredible. And now 
what you're alluding to is we acquired Groove, a leader in sales engagement and prospecting. And so now we have all things RevOps, all things CI, all things engagement, and much more on a single platform, unifying all that data, powering all the machine learning and AI workflows, and giving every revenue critical employee from the individual rep all the way up to the CEO and the board everything they need to run the revenue process. And, and that's the mission that we're on, is trying to streamline all of that. And that's the wave that we're riding. Yeah, and I'll, I'll share some stats here. 30% increase in pipeline created, 10% decrease in slip deals, and 24% increase in win rates for Clary, the uniform platform to create, convert, and close. It's pretty incredible what you've been able to do also from a marketing perspective, getting out into market, I, I talked with, with Tevin about this, that I saw those run revenue ads on LinkedIn and like instantly, I just love the campaign. I love the targeting. I always love an ad campaign that's both a call to action and like an, an aspiration to, to be great, right? It's like run revenue. Yeah, I do do that. And I need to be doing more of that. And it just opened up that loop for me. It's like, what is this company? What are they doing? And so tell me what, what that process has been like, you know, running marketing and, and, and seeing the... The, the, the growth so far on your end? So for us, we, when we are out talking to analysts, we talk to customers, talk to prospects, we keep hearing the same thing over and over again from C-level execs. And what they're saying to us is, we can't answer the most important question for our business, which is, are we going to meet, beat, or miss on revenue? And we're like, wait, you have a hard time answering? Well, of course you do. You're trying to kind of create this process out of spreadsheets and BI tools and CRM. And those systems weren't necessarily purpose-built to execute all the workflows that you need to run revenue. And so we started hearing this from our customers and they were telling us that revenue is not just an event. It's not just an outcome that happens at the end of the quarter. It really is a business process. And importantly, it's, it's the business process that matters the most. If a CRO wants to keep her job, if a CEO wants to keep her job, got to hit the number. You got to guide toward the right number. And so that's what is informing a lot of the way that we think about things. And they've been telling us that we need to run revenue better. And so we took the words straight from our customers' mouths yeah. and turned it in to a marketing campaign that this beautiful man has brought to life. <laughs> Do you agree that you're beautiful? <laughs> <laughs> that is a lose-lose question. You're um, a darling. You're I agree beautiful. that Kyle thinks it. I'll agree with that. But no, I was, I was telling you as well as like, it was a year ago, it was the run revenue campaign, specifically the acquisition and the launch of the RevCG category or revenue collaboration and governance. I'm hard to impress. Like, I, I'm, I, I don't know if I'm like mean or something, but like, it takes a lot to impress me. And, you know, I was happy at my last job running the content marketing team. And oh, same thing, I'm on LinkedIn and I saw Kyle posting their, their narrative, talking about launching this category, talking about a lot of the reframes that Kyle just shared as the point of view. And I did two things. The first was I slacked my team, my entire marketing team. And I was like, this is really good. We need to be taking notice of this. Right. And I, and I was like, wow. Now, the nice thing to do is probably text my friend Kyle and tell him that this is really good. And he kind of kicked my ass this week a little bit. So I texted him. I said, man, really good stuff. Send him the link. And I was like, must be that new SVP guy they got because he had just moved into marketing. And he says, hey, man, how you been? It's been a while. Why don't we catch up? And so, you know, we talk about dogs and kids for a few minutes. And he goes, hey, yeah, by the way, I've got this head of content role open. I don't know if you'd be interested. And so yeah, I was interested. It worked really well. And then I've been happily on the team for the last year, bringing that to life. I took 
the same screenshots of the run revenue ads and send it to my team. I'll, show, yeah. I'll literally show you my Slack later on. That sounds weird. But, uh, <laughs> but, uh, but I did the same thing. Yeah. We're, because, and part of my thing, this is the, the nerdy side of this, but part of the thing with your ads and the run revenue is that LinkedIn, which is extremely expensive to run ads on, yeah. gives you this massive ad unit and if you put, we have similar ads that are black text, black background, white text. But if you put black background, white text, it really pops on the platform and it fills your whole screen on mobile. Mm-hmm. And so I'm like, you can tell a perfect story in like a second right. with this ad unit. And I literally screenshotted those ads and I sent it to my team. Like, we got to do ads like this. And we ended up running ads and they performed super well. Nice. I, I want to give Devin the mic here because running the campaign is important. And evangelizing the problem is important. Bringing it to life, and this is what's been so impressive to me about Devin, this continue to call him beautiful and stroke his ego, I'll take it. I'll take is it. the way that it's, it's come to life, not just as a, in you know, the refined labs, Chris Walker terms, not just demand capture, right. but further up funnel. How do we create demand? How right. do we take this point of view? How do we take this right. narrative? And how do we evangelize this problem of what we call revenue leak, which is all the different areas across your revenue process that revenue is falling out of the bucket. This is the biggest problem that's hiding in plain sight for every revenue team under the sun. And so how do we create more demand for this problem and therefore for the solution? And and that's what I've been so impressed. And I'll let Devin talk about how he's actually done that. Yeah. Well, the first thought, like when I show up and I'm like, we have this great POV, we've got this enemy of revenue leak. We have this, uh, you know, revenue precision, which is the opposite. And so Kyle's kind of like, all right, what do we do now? And my thought is like, the first thing is you need people to feel it. You need people to become familiar and feel the pain of revenue leak. So part of that is defining it. So like the worst thing that can happen is in six months, another company is known for revenue leak because Mm -hmm. we didn't own it. We created this, you know, all this great POV and all this stuff, but we didn't do a good enough job evangelizing it. And so a lot of that is one increasing the volume of how much are you talking about it? And that is familiarity. Like when you see revenue leak, well, what, first thing I'll say is when you hear it, like you see the words, I need clarity to be the next, like has to be in that same sentence. Yep. The other part was people go revenue leak. It's a breakdown in the revenue process. Makes complete sense. But we hadn't defined it at the like, when I'm at work, when I'm yeah. running revenue, where that's not just a slip deal. That's revenue leak. Right? That's not a break off in your you know, AESDR handoff, that's revenue leak. And so the next part is getting them to see it, like literally see it and then feel the pain of revenue leak. Say, hey, this isn't just the way it is. This isn't just status quo. This is revenue leak. Here's the impact. And of course, because we're talking about the problem and evangelizing it, we have the solution both from a strategic lens, which is like our IP. We have this revenue cadence playbook and you can follow that even if you don't use Clary. But of course, it's much easier if you just also buy Clary and that's the solution for it as well. It's funny, I smiled when you said revenue leak because I forgot until you said that. Oh yeah, that's right. I've seen that a million times in the ads. And I I love what you said there about how you want to put that in their mind and then have your brand immediately associated with it. And I feel that way about run revenue and I feel that way about revenue leak. Zooming out here for a second, tell us a little bit about your persona, who you're selling to and the types of customers. Yeah, so I mean, we have a few personas. So we, we call them revenue pros. And as Kyle said, it's like reps to execs. And so the challenge is that's a lot of different people from different industries. But really, the top three folks we're going for CROs, RevOps, and what we call like the, the practitioners or frontline managers slash individual contributors, because the product and the products we've acquired kind of speak to those different personas at different times. And so how complex is it? 
crafting the the individualized persona, both content and marketing for those people that care about a lot of different stuff. Should we tell them about the marketing leadership when I was a pain and I kept making it? So we had a marketing leadership. I'm like, am I safe to talk about this? Marketing leadership offsite, what, like four months ago, five yeah. months ago? Yeah. We're, in, we're on day two and we're like, all right, we're going to plan Q3. Keep me honest here. I, I've been known to embellish a story or two. And he's like, all right, we're going to break down to groups and we're going to figure out what we're going to do in Q3. And I'm like, raise my hand. I'm like, hey, like real quick, like, who exactly is like our ICB? Like, who are the personas we're going for? And like Kyle, like, it's like, it's this and this. And someone over here is like, well, what about this persona? Over here, what about this persona? What about this? And then 20 minutes later, you know, everyone's talking. All right, I think this is it. I raise my hand again. I'm like, no, nah, that's not really like specific enough. I think it was like a two and a half it hour was. conversation oh, yeah. with probably 15 marketing leaders. And it was like a little painful, but it was really helpful because one, the team has, the way we've scaled was like acquisitions and just like, you know, kind of like, you know, teams joining other teams. And so it was interesting to hear like our whole marketing team has different perspectives of who it is we sell to. Right. And so this kind of like, I hate, don't I love the phrase coming to Jesus moment was like, hey, we all kind of put our cars on the table healthily debated and then said, all right, these are the three personas. This is what we're doing. And then the last part was when you have multiple personas, you have to allocate a percentage of time and budget that we're going to put to them, to which at first, I think it was 33, 33, 33. And I went, no, nope. if they're all the same, then the, you know, the, there's no leader. So we ended up kind of, kind of going about it that way. I love that you had that the debate, which I think we've all had about the personas. And if you haven't, you, you probably need to go have that conversation yeah. right now. It's like Einstein said that if you have an hour to solve a problem, you need to spend first 58 minutes diagramming it and then two minutes solving it. But I think that that is a common problem. Like when we sit down with our customers, of, of which like the vast majority are big B2B companies, and you, you have that same exercise, like, hey, we're going to create a video podcast series for y'all. And who should we make this for? Yep. And you have a bunch of different answers. You're like, yep. well, what accounts are the biggest? What accounts do you need the most acceleration on or whatever? And you sit down and have that exercise. And a lot of times it's a lot of different answers. Yeah. And you say, okay, well, if we did do this persona, how, how does attribution work for that persona versus that one? Well, it's like, oh, we have an attribution strategy that does X, Y, Z. It's like, that doesn't really make sense. If the, act the attribution for your end user is the same for a C-suite executive, right. yeah. it doesn't make any sense at right. all. And so like you get into the devil in the details and then they're like, what's the pipeline stage for this? And they're like, I think we might have to go back to like, you know, our RevOps team and talk about pipeline stages because that brought up yeah. like, oh, how do we engage like recycle accounts with like a podcast? That's like a play that we run. Oh, how do we look at recycle accounts? And so like it adds all these additional questions when you try yeah. to figure out personas. And it's kind of like the core of what marketing is, is like figure out who you're talking to before you talk to them. Yeah. And well, the usefulness here is not just to create net new opportunities or create new pipeline. Right. Mapping all of this out and understanding who your personas are across the entire buying group, it has to be done so that marketers can have more of a seat at the table for deal acceleration. 100%. And that playbook is non-existent at most companies. Yeah. And most marketing teams are strictly focused on top of funnel. More often than not, they're focused on MQLs. Yep. They're not yeah. really considering how the buyer journey has changed over the last few years. And so doing this mapping exercise that we had about who are our personas, what channels can we engage them in, what kind of messaging is appropriate for them. It's not just so that we can run beautiful ads that you see on LinkedIn. It's also so that when we have that first meeting and it becomes qualified, we have the playbook now to go and engage the entire buying group and take pressure off the rep. So we can't put it all on the rep to educate, to evangelize, to do everything they need to do across the 10, 15, 20, 50 different people that are involved in a buying decision. We as the marketing team need to hold ourselves accountable to that. And if we do that, 
we're going to increase conversion rates, we're going to increase win rates, and we're going to take pressure off what we need to do at the tip top of the funnel. And that's the perspective that I think a lot of marketing teams don't have that you need to have. It's not just about creating pipelines, it's about creating revenue. And you're a critical part of the revenue process and you need to be fully engaged with your sales team and, and be working hand in hand to make that happen. Yeah, I mean, I think the the notion of this, like, well, we're driving top of funnel awareness and this and that or whatever. And like, what that actually means is that, hey, I've seen your stuff everywhere. And like, I've got to the tipping point that 13 impressions or whatever it is. I'm like, I got to figure out what the heck these people do, yeah. right? And then you go to the website and then, and then qualified meetings pops up and then you can book a rep with your qualified person right there. Shout out to qualified for presenting this entire <laughs> event. But like, that is, that is the crux of it, right? Is like, Hey, Ian had seen run revenue, you know, however many times that I've been turned those out ads, I'd seen revenue leak. I identified like, Hey, is Caspian leaking revenue? I took a screenshot. I sent it to, you know, our, our demand gen person. Hey, this is pretty cool. And then I decide, Oh, I should just go like, see what's up yeah. with this company. And then I go to the website. And I think that for a lot of people, you're right for marketing. We just focus on that part of it. But then once they get to that stage, we need to accelerate it from there. And, and again, like that's where there's a lot of revenue leak. Yeah. yeah. And a lot of what Devin has done is a lot in the thought leadership realm right. in areas that are really hard to track from a, a literal attribution standpoint. Yeah. Yep. So the way that we show up on LinkedIn as a company, as individuals, as executives, all that thing is, a, all that strategy is largely Devin and, and Nahal who's in the crowd here but also creating a new thought leadership website called runrevenue.pro, which has nothing to do with Clary and entirely do with best practices on how to run the revenue process. But in tandem with that, we launched a new podcast called Run Revenue. Oh, I know. So we have all these things and now it's hard to, to shine a light on the dark funnel to know what kind of impact these things are making from an awareness standpoint. You know, what's gonna make Ian finally raise his hand and come to us, it's hard. But what we do know is that when a rep is engaged with an account, they're using those podcast episodes. They're using that thought leadership content. They're sending those things proactively to engage the account in tandem with the plays that were the deal acceleration plays that we're running from a marketing standpoint. So all of this content and the way that we think about thought leadership is it's different, I think, and, and more operationalized than many other companies do. And the impact is incredible. We see it. Yep. When more buyers, when we have more engaged buyers at accounts, win rates skyrocket. Yep. Like they triple when you have 10 people engaged instead of five. And we have all of this data around it. Now we have all these strategies and playbooks to go and run the marketing plays we need to run, equip the field with the right thing to do and say after each meeting, and run an effective standardized governed process that adds a lot more predictability. Yeah, we, with our, with our podcast, we in terms of direct attribution, 21% of the people that come on our shows close. And, and that's just like direct. Wow. That's not like all you've been, indirect. You've been warned. No kidding, Jesus. <laughs> yeah, no. Step it up, Kyle. Do I have to sign a contract? <laughs> no, I'm saying he's going to buy from you. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's right. That's right. Would you take over? The interview doesn't end until one of us signs. <laughs> <laughs> Lock the doors. Oh, you didn't, you didn't sign <laughs> I didn't read the in? fine print on the contract. Yeah. We take your fingerprints off the Aquafina bottle. Perfect. But but I think that those sort of things, the dark funnel, looking at yeah. attribution, looking at those creative things, like that is where marketing is headed. And it's also yeah. where marketing, where there is value, right? Yeah. It's like every single person can run paid ads and you can run it better or you can run, you know, Google ads better or you can run, you know, LinkedIn's ads better or you can have like cooler creative and stuff like that. But 
in all of those dark places is where you can create extra value that actually yeah. drives yeah. your business past your competitors and they don't necessarily know that you're doing it. Well, that, you say marketing is going there. That's because our consumption is already there. Yep. That's actually how we hear about anything from software to movies and everything in between is conversations, word of mouth, social media, organically. I don't know the last time, like I know we, we, we talked about the dark funnel in depth in our paid ads yesterday a, a lot. I don't know if you click, do you click ads like on LinkedIn to buy software? I, no, of I'm course a director, not. I don't. And I know, I'm not saying they have no value, but like a lot of times the things in marketing, like unless it's clearly attributable, like this click or this form fill, like we're not going to do the other stuff, right? The dark funnel stuff that you can't attribute as well. But the truth is I've always ran towards that direction. I, I joke with Kyle, like I built my career on leap of faith marketing. Yeah. Like I'm going to show you brand growth and audience growth. And then there's the damn dark funnel or whatever you call it. And then at the end of the day, it's like, how do I know I'm doing my job? If inbound is going up and if direct web traffic is going up, we must be doing something right, even if you can't directly attribute it. Yeah, so what, what I think there and the tools I think are catching up to this a little bit, and obviously tools like Clarity and Qualified really help with this. But, but I think what's happening is like so much of sort of like that old style, like, well, I'm going to go with my gut and I'm going to do what like I think should happen. And then it moved into data, being very data-driven. And then now there's a little bit more towards like, with the content specifically of like, I think that this needs to exist in the world. And I feel conviction that if we serve our customers and our prospects with things that they actually do want based off of information that we've pulled from them by talking to them about what they actually want, and then we go create that, then we know we're in the right. right. And I think that, so for us, what we do in terms of framework, for our customers is like there's four four ways that we do that there's like peer-led content so it's like your peers learning from your peers being persona driven so like hyper focus on a persona i say serialized content is eating the world so like being serialized so serialized content that people binge just like how everybody binges stuff and then the fourth thing is multi-channel multi-format like you have to be in multiple channels and you have to be multi-format and like if you do those four things in your marketing not just in your content then like that is how people consume that stuff. Yeah. And I think that for so many people, that is way more work because right. their team is not built to do any of that stuff. Yeah. It's like, what's your peer-driven co-creation content strategy? It's like, what the fuck does that even mean? Don't, you know get, what I mean? don't like, get any ideas. Don't ask me that. <laughs> <laughs> but I think that that's really challenging yeah. for, for the modern marketer to be like, wait, but I don't have that. I have a paid ads team that I could put more money into it. Right. But that's what all of your competitors also have. Right. Yeah. For your customers, what, what's the, like, the size and the scale of customers that you're targeting? It, I mean, we serve yes. now that we have our conversation intelligence product, now that we have our sales engagement product. Of course, we have RevOps and forecasting. We can sell to anybody, any industry. It, I, if you would have asked me this question 18 months ago, I would have said, eh, you know, tech companies, 200 yeah. to 5,000 is kind of the sweet spot, but we have exceptions on both sides of that. Now we have Fortune 50 companies, we have five-person SMB companies, and everybody in between. Yeah. And are they all going to be on the full Clary platform? No. But there's a journey for them to get there if and when we can help them operationalize their growth. So, you know, we're, we're selling, as Devin said, to CROs, heads of RevOps, and practitioners at any company, any yeah. industry. It's really exciting, but also probably a way bigger challenge from a strategy perspective. How do you think about the marketing strategy as it relates to now that anyone can be a customer? I mean, every time Kyle buys a company, my job just gets harder. So it's like, <laughs> man, new personas, new that. I, I do like it, though, because I think it's like it, it does give us more play, like place to play. And what I mean is like, yeah. 
you know, think of all the accounts and like, you know, we were pr primarily SaaS, like you said, until like, you know, 12, 18 months ago, there's one CRO at those companies and there's one head of RevOps and pending the size of that RevOps teams, a few kind of folks there. And obviously there's influential people. Sure. But once you, you know, as we started kind of going down the practitioner trails, like now there's more people that we can influence a deal. So I'm not just worried about, can I get the right ad in front of the decision maker or the right event only in front of the decision maker, but as we started to expand the product lines and therefore the users, therefore the marketable audience, it gives us a lot of people that we can influence. And having been, I mean, you've been in it too, but like I've been a sales rep selling sales tech to salespeople for a few years. So it's yeah. kind of inception. <laughs> I've been in those deals and in internal meetings where, you know, Kyle, you know, the leader could come in and say, hey, we're looking at, you know, this tech. Anybody like, have you heard of anything? And I want people to say, yeah, we got to check out Clary. And those reps, as we all know, those salespeople here, they're loud. They know what they want and they're opinionated and they know what they don't want and they're opinionated. And so a lot of, to me, like for at least my lens is like, how do I get as many people here that are running that meeting, in that meeting or influencing a deal to say, hey, I know, like, and trust Clary? Because those closed door rooms are how, in my opinion, someone actually decides to go hit request a demo. Yep, it yep. starts there first. And I want to be the first person and hopefully the first company named and hopefully the only one named. Where so, oh, that's right. We're doing, you know, it's time to start, you know, recording calls, using CI, upgrading our sales engagement platform. I want clarity to be in the same sentence. And so long, long-winded answer is like, I, I like it. It gives us more, more room to play. I also think that marketing the term like actual engagement in terms of like, hey, they engage with our content or they engage with an ad or whatever is, is very fraught with, with with lots of noisy data there. It's like, yeah. well, what is, did they listen to a 45 minute podcast? Did they right, come right. to a live event? Did, did they do this stuff? So obviously that part being critical. But then once you talk about the different personas and then the different size organizations where it's like, okay, the you know yeah. CMO of a hundred person company, right. it's like, it gets extremely difficult. How do you sort of deal with that complexity? The way that we're starting to figure this out, and we don't have a perfect answer yet. Yeah, it's, my, it's, my answer was like, we don't have it figured out. <laughs> it's, it's hard. It really is hard. Yeah. But we, you, you kind of think about the data table. And the primary metric we care about is the pipeline we create, the conversion rate of that pipeline. And not all pipeline is created equal. So we're looking at pipeline by source. What, how is it different if somebody comes to a live event versus if they click the request demo button? Right. And how do those cohorts behave differently from there? So that's one cut. But maybe to answer your question more directly about different industries and company sizes is the, data, the table looks like you have company sizes as columns, and you can call it whatever you want, SMB, mid-market, enterprise, sure. whatever. And then the rows are number of engaged buyers. Mm -hmm. And then each cell is what's the win rate for each of those cohorts. And then you can start to triangulate, okay, at a 1,000-person company, mid-market company, when there are five people engaged, here's our win rate. When there are 15 people engaged, here's our win rate. And you can sort of have this little heat map that says, we now have a best practice where we know roughly the size of the buying group. We know how many people we need engaged at those accounts. And then we can drill into that data and say, what are the personas? And at what stage in the cycle do we need to engage them? And you can start to create really sophisticated plays that are marketing-led, sales-executed, and try and optimize the entire process and spend the right times on the right thing. That's not just about creating 10x pipeline coverage. Right. Like that is not a sustainable way to run a business. Right. And so if you can be smarter about creating high velocity pipeline, that has a real chance to close via the sources that you know are creating that meaningful pipeline. And then you have the programs that accelerate it and engage the right buyers at the right time. That's the holy grail. Way easier said than done. Yeah. Way easier. And it's a journey for us. Like for sure, we're not, sure. I'm not saying we're perfect by any means in this regard, but we, we've created a lot of the right infrastructure 
We've created a lot of the right content, thought leadership, yeah. assets, and now we therefore can go and operationalize the strategy. We always do uncuttable budget items. What are your three uncuttable budget items at Clary? Oh, I'd cut the content team. <laughs> <laughs> Damn it. It's been fun. I was actually, I was, I was doing my prep on my way here with, with Nehal, because it's my right hand here. And the, the, the number one thing that jumped out was social media. I think it's, I was, because we were talking and I'm like, it's probably shocking that when I joined here and I got to hire somebody, the most senior person I brought on yeah. runs our social media strategy. That is the number one thing. And that's kind of weird, to, I think, to a lot of people. We got some raised eyebrows from our CFO. Yeah. I had no to make sense. a case. <laughs> no, it's, and it's not Nahal. It's not Nahal. It's like, that's like, he, I remember this. He was literally, Dev, I trust you. It was this hand motion. Like, look, I, I trust you. Help me explain to them why social media is the number one thing. And so I can go on a rant if you want on, on that, but that's number one, uncuttable. It's like the crown jewel right now. I'd say of what we're doing, it's, it's working the best. And it's not just Clary's channel. It's our employee activation. It's yep. our CEO's playbook. I mean, Kyle's already a machine at it. So like it has so much more benefit and reach than people are, are ready to admit, I think, for a long standing point. The other one I would say is like, is like, thought leadership or category content. And that's where it kind of splices into like podcast articles and different things. But for me, again, no shock, director of you know content marketing and thought leadership, social media and category content are got to keep going. I, I totally agree. I totally agree. I'll say <laughs> one, one other thing. Yeah, you still have a job. Don't worry. <laughs> the thing that's uncuttable from my perspective, in addition to what Devin said, is we sell the CROs. They're our number one persona. I know Devin listed the three, but CROs are the main decision sure. makers in many respects. And so they're the ones that get the outsized amount of our time, energy, attention, resources, budget. The problem is that many CROs, no offense to anybody in the crowd or anybody listening to this, that they don't read a ton of stuff. Like totally. A, they what was the last white paper a CRO read? They, or they don't, it's hard to get them to come to a virtual event. They don't, they don't read marketing collateral. That's right. the thing. They read other, like industry stuff, industry but not stuff. marketing industry collateral. Stuff. Yeah, like, you know, B2B companies. But what so. they do, and I've had this conversation with a handful of CROs, and I always ask them, like, when you need to answer a question, what do you do? Zero of them say Google. They all say, yeah. I pick up the phone, and I call this person, this person, this person, and I just ask them. Yep. Get an answer that way. And so the word of mouth and manufacturing that word of mouth is, is something that we spend a lot of time thinking about. So to answer your question, finally, Ian, is... The uncuttable thing for me is in-person events, yeah. in-person events. And I'm not talking about, this is lovely to be here at Dreamforce. What are there, 50,000 people here, something like that? Great. I'm talking about the six-person dinner. Yeah. You know, you go to Denver, you go to Atlanta, Chicago, whatever, and just get six CROs talking to each other, not about Clary, just about what's going on and how they can help each other. And if we can build those communities, build that network and earn their trust, they're going to be much more likely to ultimately come back to us to try and solve other problems. So it's not super expensive. Like it costs way more to serve a billion paid ads than to run four different in-person dinners every month. Totally. And so that that's an investment that I think we need to continue to make. And I think there's a real appetite for, sure. for just humans in general to have more face-to-face contact, but certainly CROs because that's who they trust is each other. Yeah, one of the things with, with in-person events and the reason why I totally agree, by the way, at the small batch events, like it's a very common uncuttable budget item and it's something that I think came out of 
dealing with COVID, like how do we yeah. do stuff and how do we figure right. this out? And people are like, oh, it turns out these small batch events are like way better. They outperform. And so what I think is really interesting is you have the content side. So like thought leadership content from your team, like push content. Then you have like, I, so I think of content and community as like a push and pull. Yeah. So content pushes into your community, yeah. but it also you pull out of your community other ideas that they want to hear and stuff like that. So it's, a, it's those two things work in parallel. And your community includes doing events and it's not necessarily like demand is running an event per se, although that's fine too, but community is running event where it's like with no salespeople in the room, with no like even sales agenda at all. We were just talking with Karen Flores from Okta about this, of just like getting people together and like let them talk about whatever they want to talk about yeah. is fine. And like back in the day, this was like people, you know, going to golf courses and doing right. stuff like that, right. right? We all don't have time for that anymore. But I think it's really fascinating to pair together you know, this peer-driven content of like getting your executives with your customers and prospects in public, sharing that as like on-demand content, and then partnering that with, hey, by the way, we have this small in-person six, you know, six-person events, private event, like just for you if you're interested. Yeah. And it, it scratches the itch of the executive who doesn't really want to read stuff, but they want to participate right. in stuff. They want to have a voice and CROs like to talk. And so it gives them a place to talk, but, and to network with their peers or to share their thoughts publicly with the world. And yeah. that's like what they're yeah. looking and, to And do. importantly, those small format events, they can't be like a timeshare meeting where you lock people <laughs> in a room for three hours. You're just pitching them this beautiful right. space you have in Hawaii. Like don't turn it into a sales pitch. Yeah. People were shocked. We, we just did a recent dinner in Chicago and we had uh, unbelievable sales leaders there. And at the end of a three hour dinner where we were just shooting the breeze, talking about family and the Taylor Swift tour and like whatever. <laughs> um, at the end, they were like, where's the sales pitch? I was like, I'm not going to pitch you. Right. If you want to learn more about Clary, go to the website. Yeah. Like we're here to talk to each other. You just spend an hour with us. I don't, I don't care at yeah. all. Right. That was one of the things... Shout out to Nate Skinner, former former Salesforce person, he's CMO of Onfido, where when I did a podcast with him back in the day, he was like, I do not care if people talk about our our product at all. In fact, you can let competitors on, you can let anyone. It's like, it's our platform. They're coming to us. We're getting all these like engagements here. It's like, it doesn't matter. It's like, if you create the space and let them do what they want there, it turns out like you'll get a lot better results. Yeah. What about your most cuttable budget item? What's something that you didn't want to spend money on this year or next year? All my budget items have been approved. Which one did you not want to approve? <laughs> no, if it got approved, it's not it's not cuttable. Cuttable. I, I mean, I run an extremely lean it's team, true. like in tech stack. Like I always thought it's it was true. weird. Like we were talking about earlier about like how much tech it was funny, it's in sales, one RevOps leader told me he's like, Dev, this looks good. Like how much how much things in my tech stack am I supposed to have? Yeah. And that always resonated with me. And so like when I'm interviewing folks or talking, I, I think it's like weird like asking what like a marketer's tech stack is, because I'm like, it's like Google Docs. Like we can get a lot done with Google Docs. Like I don't need a lot of like technology. So I run a pretty lean team in business. So like, I honestly like can't say that I come, like I don't ask for money that I don't absolutely need. And I'm not just saying that because he says yes. So I don't, ha I don't have anything that I could cut. What about something you're not investing in this year? Well, I'll, I'll answer the first question first. Um, and then we can talk about that in a second, which is I have increasing skepticism of paid ads as a means for demand capture. 100%. For demand capture. So there's demand creation. Awareness is kind of a more common term for it. And there's demand capture, like how getting people to actually convert and raise their hand and say, tell me more. That's just not the way that buyers buy. 
there's buyers want to do more research. They want to become more educated. And so I think there's a time and a place for paid ads to create awareness, tell the category story, show up on LinkedIn. So we're getting those impressions. So it's like a billboard. It's like a billboard. I think treating paid ads like a billboard is way smarter than trying to lean on them as demand capture mechanisms because then you end up playing this impossible game of skyrocketing CPLs, terrible conversion rates, terrible win rates, and your finance team is like, what the hell are you guys doing? And so I I think we got to find a better balance and rethink a lot of the ways that kind of the traditional playbook of running paid ads so that people see an ad, click an ad, buy a thing. It's just not the way it works in B2B anymore. I totally agree. We have an ad that we've been running for like the past year. And we basically, our A-B test was like, do we go with just like pure value, like value proposition? And then the other one's like, let's just be funny. And the one that's funny way outperformed. So we did did an ad with someone like who looks like he's on a deathbed with a bunch of doctors around and said, I almost died making our company podcast, but then I found Caspian. (laughs) And like we get all sorts of comments on it and people are like tagging their friends and stuff like that. And and again, like I don't care if anyone ever clicks on the ad, but it's like, and we usually, we use it a lot for retargeting as well. So it's like people have already engaged with us, but it's like that sort of thing, like follow them around the internet um, and, and, you know, make them laugh. Like that's all you need from that stuff is just yeah. like a positive brand, you know, sentiment. Yeah. And it's like, that's it. But they're not, they're not, I'm, I don't need to measure the conversion space off that stuff. We have their email. I can just send them an email. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and that's a perfect segue into what, what are we trying to invest in more? Yeah. And broad strokes, what we're, we, Clary are trying to invest in is running our marketing organization with more of a B2C kind of vibe. Yeah. We want, the customer to be the hero. Yep. We want them to be to, to be the ones taking center stage. We the old B two B playbook of selling technology. As it, it sounds obvious, that like of course we should be marketing and selling our technology. Well, not really. You need to be selling and evangelizing the problem that you solve, and you need to be putting the hero cape on the buyer so that they feel empowered to go solve that problem, leveraging your technology. And that's the move that we're trying to make. So a lot of what we do in the run revenue campaign and the way that we're showing up and certainly hopefully the, the vibe that you get when you engage with any Clary properties, whether that's runrevenue.pro or clary.com or us on social, hopefully you get more of a B2C feel from us. We want you leaving any Clary experience and feeling like that was that felt like Nike. That felt like Apple. Not That felt like IBM. Like yeah. that's not the way we want to go. So that's what we're trying to invest more in. I don't exactly know what it means, but it's something of a directional, you know, a North Star, an ideal state that we're trying to get to. I mean, I feel like that that you know starts with content, in-person experiences, you know, the the buyer experience, how all that stuff feels. Are we going to be the people who send five thousand outbound emails to the same exact person? <laughs> I, I just said this on another podcast, or we did a we did a test of we took two hundred fifty people, we sent them you know, like an email, like, Hey, by Caspian. And then uh, we did the second thing and we invite him on our podcast, 1% rate versus 25. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. The offer is completely different. And one makes you feel special and cool. And the other one's like dime a dozen. Everyone's trying to get you to buy something. It's, it's funny at, uh, not, not Kyle pre- previous, previous marketing land. I've had that, like, Hey, we're behind on pipeline. What would you say? We just like send an email to our database asking for demos. Yes. Yeah, let's send more. And I was like, man, if that was a good idea, more people would be doing it yeah. <laughs> and it would be working. But, and so guess what? I got forced into doing it, Wr- wrote the best copy I could, 
not one demo. 75,000 people on the list, not one demo. And I was like, can we just like hang this up now? Like, this is not how the world works anymore. But Devin, it costs zero dollars to send those emails and you got... <sighs> My time point, is not worth it. Point two three, yeah, right. <laughs> point two three deals that closed because of that. But that's the same argument. You're like, but the other side of that is it's super annoying to be on the other end of that. And have yep. you ever thought of that? It well, is. And my thought was trust immediately. Ahead, the sorry. unsub rate was what I showed. Yeah. Which was like three times higher than when we send, you know, we were sending a lot of content, a lot of like just offers, right? Free stuff. And I'm like, now there's, I don't know, thousand people. I have to go regain their email and regain their trust because we decided to take a shortcut that didn't work. And that's not going to happen. If somebody unsubscribes yeah. from your email, like, why would they ever resubscribe? Yeah. And you've shown yeah. them that you're going to treat them like a lead yeah. in your database yeah. and not like a human that whose problems you understand it can help solve. Yeah. Why would they ever come back to you? Ironically, we had to do it again twice. Could you believe that? Twice. We had to like prove I, what, I know it was six months ago. The world's changed. I was like, Jesus. okay. We, but so, yeah. I, I was talking to someone who fived due to pressure from the royal investors in, in the sky <laughs> that they, they fired a content marketing person and hired two more outbound reps. And I was like, you're already sending these people emails. Yeah. You want to just send more? Like, what yeah. are we talking about here? Plus, outbound's marketing function anyway. So, like, why do you even need yeah. those two people to send those emails? We're like, that's like a backward, you've already, you've already lost, right? Yeah. And I think the other piece that we've talked about a lot is like the 95% of people who are not buying, that is when you need to get in front of them. Yes. Like, well, that's why I liked your ad. Sorry, I didn't cut you off. Your ad that you said about the, the casket. Like you're 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 not you're you're not converting them, but you're winning mind share. Yeah, yeah. And you need to win mind share before you can win market share. So all that like people are like, oh, it's brand content. Like that's not converting. It's like, but most people aren't buying anyway. So you need to start to get get them to know, like, and trust you, like you're doing with your ad. And then later, when the meeting when it comes up that I need your services, you'll be the first one, and you'll get more inbound. Or when the SDR does do the outreach, it's like, oh yeah, I've known you, I've seen right. this stuff. I'm more likely to take a meeting. Glide path. Yeah. One of the things, Kyle, I, I love that you were saying about trying to feel more like that B2C experience. And I think that I would add to that, that just like having more personality and then having your sales process match your marketing yeah. is something that that is like so hard to do. Yeah. But if you can do it right, it's like if you're the company who has like all this very cool, very like, hey, buy from us if you want to get better. But if not, like no worries. And then your salesperson bangs down their door 5,000 times. <laughs> I, we had someone um, yeah. on the podcast who, who said something that was brilliant, which was like, we will not like pester anyone ever unless they fill out a lead form. And then it's like, we will email them a hundred times because they told us that they wanted to do business with us. So like, until they say, no, actually that was my bad. I just did that when I was, you know, in the middle of the night and I was yeah. in a weak place. Like, <laughs> was a weak place. <laughs> you can like tell them opt out of that. And I thought that, that was like a refreshing way of thinking about it. Of like, yeah. hey, I'm not gonna, you interrupted me to say, I want your, you know, I might want to do business with right. you. But at least that has like a strategy behind it rather yeah. than just like annoy the living heck out of people. Sure. Right. Anywho. Yeah. Last thing here, just talking about RevOps really quick. Obviously we, we've been doing this show, Rise of RevOps with Qualified. And I have been stunned at how different RevOps teams are, where yeah. it sits in the organization. Does it roll up to CFO? Does it roll up to CRO? Who, what type of person? What is their background in it? Yep. RevOps seems like it is this like uncharted territory that like we're sort of figuring out on the fly. Obviously, you work with tons of RevOps people. So I'm just curious like about this, this sort of like nascent field yeah. that is now this zipper between sales marketing and customer success, which is all really new. Like what is sort yeah. of the next phase for RevOps? So 
RevOps is, I'm glad you did a really good frame up because a lot of people think of RevOps simply as a coming together of sales ops, marketing ops, CS ops, just jam them together, put them on the same team, put a leader, and we have RevOps. And that's not it. It's not it. What RevOps is, is it's a function that facilitates the operational strategy of running revenue. And so I don't like the 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 function we get so wrapped around the axle about the function and where it reports and all those things. Like, well, what are we actually trying to do here? Right. We're trying to create a revenue strategy, operationalize that strategy, and drive predictable growth. <laughs> That's what RevOps is. And so I think it makes sense for some orgs for that to roll into finance. I think it makes sense in other orgs for that to roll into the CRM. A lot of it is situational. A lot of it depends. And so like the answer to any good question is always nuance. And I think the answer to this one is nuance and it depends on the needs of the business. But that North Star is really important. You as a RevOps person or team, you are the facilitators of the revenue process. You're the ones who make it come to life. You're the ones making sure all your revenue critical employees have the means to collaborate. You're making sure that all the processes that you're running are standardized, governed, and can scale. And if that's the service you're providing to the company, you are irreplaceable. Because you're driving the most important business process, which is revenue. Another thing that I think you know, to add on to that is that there's certain folks, RevOps folks, that are strategic and then some that are operational and then the 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 unicorn that is both. Yeah, has and to that, be both. And that yeah, exactly. And so when you talk to the people who are the strategic level thinker, you have this like you talk to them like, oh, you're thinking about the business four years from now. You're thinking about like all of these super strategic levers, thinking about, you know, all of these different parts of the business and how one thing impacts another. Like if you move this, if you change a stage here, if you do this. And like those type of strategic conversations are are not things that historically have been in RevOps. And it's really, that's really fascinating. Like, how do we help build the RevOps community to develop the strategic muscle if you don't have it, right? Right. If you have just been, like, if you started your career as a Salesforce admin and you moved from there into, like, your career path now to, oh, I have to go learn strategy, like, that's a very different skill set. So I think that part of it is fascinating. And I know that y'all are going to be at the cutting edge of, of pushing that stuff forward. Well, I mean, we agree, we agree completely. We had a, a session yesterday. I think it was a Neil from uh, Asana, the head of RevOps, who was like the whole the whole point of it is like going from the like owner of the tech stack and the dashboard, you know, the person who goes gets the dashboard to that strategic function and that leader. And that's what a Neil was doing a great job saying. One was like, you absolutely have to be looking a year or two years ahead. But please don't get a twist. Like you are always in the operational mode. There's always too much work to be done. And you just need to accept that as you go into the role. Yeah. Which is kind of like interesting because I, I appreciate that. Like it is yeah. what it is, at least for now. And you still need to find a way to be more strategic you, to elevate the function from like what we call it, like the, the person who goes and like gets the question or go gets the answers, to the person asking the right questions. Yeah, we, we heard a, a CRO who talks about how they just bifurcated their team. They like, they have like their little, their strat, they have a little strat team that just like never has to get operational. And then the rest of the RevOps team is purely operational. And they're constantly, their strat team is like, they are thinking six months plus out That's all the time. That is interesting. It's yeah. super fast. I'll, I'll find the episode and I'll, we'll link it up in the show notes as they say. Beautiful. Um, Beautiful. But that stuff is like, man, this is a brand yeah. new field. Like it really is a brand new field if uh, with the way that it, it is changing. And, and you know, it's super exciting. It's like sales enablement 
eight, 10 years ago, you asked like 10 different companies, what sales enablement do and look like at your company and you get 10 different answers. Yeah. So RevOps is growing and it's starting to mature. So you still kind of get that, not, that not very response. Is it growing? RevOps is the number one fastest right. growing yeah. job in the US, yeah. according to CNBC. Like this is not Clary propaganda. This is, yeah. this is real. Number one fastest growing job. Faster than frontline medical workers, faster than truck right. drivers, faster than every other job in the US, which is wild. Yeah. And it's because they are the facilitators of the revenue process. And to do the job well, you earn the right to think long-term by executing right, short-term. Right. You earn that right. You earn the seat at the table by doing the hard stuff, running toward the fire, figuring out how to make the rest of the team successful. Yeah. And it, it, it's interesting to hear that teams have, have bifurcated. I wonder I've how heard popular. That yeah, yeah. I how, yeah, I want to follow up with that person like six months from now. Like, did it work or did they yeah, have to yeah, like, no kidding. Yeah. Case study. Gentlemen, it's been wonderful having you on the show, Thanks. having you at the event. For our listeners, you can go to Clary and check it out. A lot of great, check out the Run Revenue podcast. Yes. And any final thoughts, anything to plug? You just plugged the main two CTAs that I, I love to plug. So yeah, go Run Revenue with Clary. Yeah, totally agree. The most, the highest leverage thing you can do as an operator, as a, any revenue critical employee is root out and stop revenue leak. Yep. And if you do that, you're irreplaceable. You're never going to get riffed. It's going to be lovely. So that, that's the focus for everybody that we work with. Awesome. Thanks so much. Take care. Yeah. Thanks, you. Thanks again to our friends at Qualified.com, a conversational sales and marketing platform that transforms the way B2B companies sell. Go to Qualified.com to learn more.